Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. And joining me tonight, we welcome back Kotaku's Luke Plunkett. Thanks for having me back. And we also say hello once again to U.S. Gamer's Mike Williams. Hello, hello, folks. How's everyone doing tonight? Uh, not too bad. I, I feel like I've been beating my head against a few really tricky walls in the Old West. Uh, and that's how I've sort of been spending the last the last week uh, getting ready to talk about Desperados 3. Uh, we talked about the... We haven't talked about the other Desperados games on this show. Uh, and it turns out that I'm not, I'm not sure anybody's actually played those uh, ever. I'm not sure I've ever met someone who's, who's played one of the first two Desperados games. Uh, but I think, I think a lot of us did play the... Probably the actual predecessor to Desperados 3, which was Shadow Tactics, uh, Blades of the Shogun. Uh, we talked about it a couple years ago on the show and thought pretty highly of it. Desperados 3 is a similar kind of commando-style stealth game, but set in the Old West. So, Luke, if you could set up for us, like, what is desperados 3 what like what are the dynamics you're sort of tasked with mastering here uh you sort of you sort of called it a stealth masterpiece in your kataka review um i'm curious how for you it sort of sets itself a cut above your average stealth game well it's a i guess you'd call it a real-time tactics game i guess is the back of the box way of describing it so it's a game where you take control of a small squad of i don't know what you'd call them given the setting they're normally operatives or agents but we'll just call them cowboys and girls for this one um and you just get presented with a series of of maps and levels where your agents have to sneak all the way across a map either avoiding or eliminating a whole series of uh guards um opponents enemies however you want to call them um the the game boils down to basically each one of those guards is um presented in a sort of stealth game format where they've all got vision um cone visions vision cones of of where they're surveying the landscape they'll have uh patrol routines they'll have uh, other characters or items that they're interacting with and these are all creating avenues and opportunities for you to slip past them or slip through them or lure one of them away using one of your operatives special abilities and then eliminate them and and move on um the way i've just described it makes it sound like it is a true stealth game um i guess one of the things we i'm going to assume we're going to get into later on this chat is that it's actually a really cool way of just presenting a puzzle game because that's what it kind of breaks down into more so than sort of the, the way I initially approached this game was that I've, I felt very similar to how I feel when I play Hitman, um, a very em- empowering sort of powerful stealth game where you're able to dress up and you've got all these special abilities and, and stuff like that. But Hitman's a sort of more free-flowing sandboxy stealth experience, whereas Desperados presents the illusion of a, of a sandbox stage that you can play with, but it's really just a set dressing for a number of very sort of specialized puzzles that you need to use very specific abilities and people to overcome. Yeah. I think the puzzles aspect is one of the things that makes this such a, uh, save scummy game, which is, I think it sort of sets it a little bit apart from, uh, like stealth games that you might play, 
uh, I mean, games like Dishonored and such things in the in the Thief Legacy, where I, I think part of how people end up playing those is seeing how well you can you can sort of flow and master like extended sequences without necessarily having to save scum. Though to be clear, everyone starts out playing those games uh, save scummy as hell. So maybe the difference isn't as salient as I as I make it sound there, uh, because the achievements this game is dangling in front of you are eventually like, hey, how about you do that without saving like eighty five times? Uh, but like this game really centers the fact that you are expected to save and save a lot and fail a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, if you go minute without saving the game's like, Hey, maybe you want to save uh, Mike, you, you were actually pretty cool with that. You're positive about it. Yeah. So the, like part of the difference between some of the other stealth games that you brought up, like I compared it a lot to Hitman, except you're not as powerful or dishonored is a lot of those. Yes people will play them sort of save scumming them early on, but they're not as punitive. Like in Desperados, if you're seen most of the time, you're dead. Like your, your characters cannot survive any sort of prolonged fight at all. So you're constantly sort of shown failure. So I, uh, I actually was fine uh, as an explanation uh, basically, uh, if you haven't quick saved in a minute, the default option puts up a, a, a big thing in the middle of the screen that lets you know how long it has been since you last saved. And uh, the like key binds for quick save and quick load are right there on the screen. So they're always in your head, letting you know that, hey, if you've been doing something for two to three minutes, you may have in fact set yourself up to fail long-term. And I found really actually, once I got above three minutes, uh, if I let that go in my first run through, it was usually a very bad time for me. And I had, I would have to like reload to an earlier quick save, which you can actually do. They don't, like tell you that but you can just go into load and find some of the earlier quick saves in the level to go back because i accidentally uh had one or two situations where i had quick saved myself too far in my my plan to get through a certain section yeah like this is a game where i would find myself um yeah, you do sort of learn the reflex to start quick saving, uh, in part because you would have that billboard appearing in the center of the interface. I think it also, it slowly turns red as you get away from the one minute mark, right? Yes. Like at first so, it's yeah, like kind it, of a cool slowly, It slowly ebbs into sort of a yellow and then an amber, and then it just gets slowly more urgent until it's sort of basically flashing the whole screen at you saying, look, man, I'm not going to make you save right now, but I think it's a really, really, really good idea that it's been four or five minutes and you're going to kill yourself if you don't quick save this right now yeah and i think the other the other part of this and this is i think very familiar from stealth games is that so much of this is about arranging the arranging the puzzle pieces which also means that kind of the first puzzle you end up solving in a lot of the spaces you encounter is a series of traversal puzzles 
because you have to get multiple characters into striking positions uh, to execute a plan. And sometimes that itself can take a few minutes of just like dancing along uh, guards' vision cones and doing a bit of like crowd control using like lures and distractions to uh, peel vision cones away while other people move through. And like it just hits a point where really like reflexively I would start just sort of tapping F5. Like somebody adjusts a position inside a bush where they're hiding and I'm like, oh, I better save that because God forbid I'm going to move that guy two pixels over, yeah. uh, you know, ever again. And, and that's part of what why I still sort of compare it to Hitman because there is that like slight bit of muddiness like dishonored was a little bit freer with it but hitman is very much like oh i totally know what i need to do in this situation and then you make a move and then you realize that actually agent 47 is just a little bit too slow and you find that a lot here in desperados you're like oh i know exactly what i'm gonna do i'm gonna have doc mccoy like stun that guy that i'm gonna grab him and move him into uh into a bush to drop the body and you're just slightly too slow or you're too far out of cover or the timing of your, your moves doesn't quite sync up like you thought it would. So there's, there's like a lot of muddiness in it, which would normally, I guess, feel bad. But since you're so used to quick saving and quick loading, I'm just like, okay, uh, just let's revert and try that again. It's okay because it leans into it. I think I think you'd definitely find grounds for criticism for it if it was the kind of game where like like you would often say, Oh, this game's so save scummy, it's so reliant on save scummy, it's so tedious. But the fact that this game is so upfront about it and makes it such a sort of key part of the entire approach to the game, I think is what contributes to making it so cool. I don't know whether that's just a, a user like a UI trick or just the way that it's so fast to save and reload so quickly that it sort of bakes into you the idea that, okay, if I'm setting up this elaborate sort of set piece where I'm going to stun this guy and then knock this guy out and then run up and throw a knife at this guy and sort of kill four people in one turn, if it all goes to hell in like a second and a half, I can just instantly reload and try again and again and again and again. And even if it takes me 10, 15, 20 tries to do the same move, it never feels frustrating in a way that I really can't remember the last time I played a game that was so sort of elastic with that. Like I just never get frustrated at quick loading in this game. Yeah. It, it helps how snappy it is again, like having those things really centered. Uh, there were, there were several points where it would take me multiple time tries just to get a dude, because what I had to, what I had to do wasn't necessarily complicated. Um, so I'm thinking about a very early mission uh, a pretty cool one where it introduces one of the major characters, Kate O'Hara, Kate O'Hara and you are basically uh, crashing her wedding day. And of course, she's already crashed it herself uh, because she's kind of there on a long con type thing. It's cool. We'll get to the plot in a second. Uh, but there's this point where your main character, Cooper, is walking along this cliff face and there's a guard just hanging out like dozing on a park bench but if you walk in front of him he will see you and his vision cone doesn't really move like he's kind of just staring across the path you need to get past him 
and you can you basically have like a very tiny window uh where you can pop out uh into the open and fling a coin to lure him lure him away and distract him and get his eyes off the path and it probably took me several times to do that because i just kept clipping the the edge of his vision range like it it just wasn't quite working out right. Like I was getting the positioning wrong or something. Or I was timing the emergence from behind cover. I was getting that just a little bit wrong and I would end up reloading that like a few times before I got it quite right and just sort of danced past him and then continued on with the mission. And I want to say like, that was a really like dead simple version of that, but there's so many times where it does feel like I have, I will see a solution and I'm, I'm pretty confident that I've got it, but I just don't have the timing quite right where like, you know, I just keep getting caught by this one guard who I don't, I don't blind in time to keep him from seeing somebody getting stabbed. And so I just keep like reloading and refining my plan. Um, and yeah, it, it is weird that that is so satisfying, but I think that is, it's been so long since I played a very old school puzzle game. And this, this is puzzly in the way like the old lemmings games were puzzly where you're just staring at like this, this situation, this, this interlocking group of guards on patrol paths. And you're trying to figure out like, how do I cleanly do this? And for some reason it just totally works for me that I'm sitting there basically like re racking my plan and just like, sort of dialing it in uh, almost like millisecond by millisecond yeah i had one that was on uh it was one of the earlier missions on the one with the bridge and mm -hmm. um the the you had to get across and there were it was basically one long coat guard which are the kind that the normal folks can't the non-hector hector is your heavy character can't knock out easily uh, and then two other guards. And I had the plan. It was working really well, which was Kate was going to bomb them with perfume. And then Doc McCoy and John would shoot each of the other two guards. Um, and I think I redid that one like 20 times before. Like I, I had the plan, but I did it like 20 times before it actually worked. And, and even then it was still satisfying when it actually worked. Like it was like, Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. We're good. We're good. This is a plan that could work. So real quick, uh, it's probably an unfair question because obviously every character is meant to be used, uh, as part of this team, uh, that you're commanding, but who were y'all's favorite, uh, f favorite, uh, cowpokes. Let's say who are who are your favorite members of the gang? Oh, it really changed as I went through the game. Mm -hmm. I would I was initially the biggest fan of Cooper just because his sort of vanilla tool set seemed the most flexible for most situations. He had he has the coin that you can throw to distract people. He's got a, a deadly close range weapon. He's got a sort of medium range weapon with the throwing knife. He's got both pistols. But I think as you get further in the game and you get into the more complex levels where you 
can't just rely on single characters where you have to basically set up the showdown moments where you everybody's working together to solve the same thing at the same time. I think it was really started to become Isabel um, just because I tended to lean on her, two of her powers in particular, the, the one where you hit um, guards with two darts and it links their fate together so that if you kill one of the guards, the other one goes down at the same time as well as well as the possession one where you literally, you know, use a voodoo spell and take control of one of the guards and they can then use them to move them out of position or even kill another guard. Um, I just found that to be sort of, yeah, as I got to the tougher parts of the game, that just seemed to be the most useful, sort of most exhilarating powers to be using. They felt really empowering to me as sort of, yes, this game's really tense. I'm having to sit in the bushes all the time and, and hide from people. But whenever I use those two powers, I just felt like a complete, badass about it which was really cool yeah i have to agree actually uh i thought you were gonna ask who did i use the least and that would be kate uh kate oh really okay kate hold quickly on. like Go. fell oh, out yeah, of because... uh, favor for me oh really yeah because kate's distraction powers yeah hold on all right well yeah all right yeah I'm going to defend Kate's honor. But yeah, so Kate, Kate fell out of favor for me, but Isabella was my uh, most used for uh, the reasons that Luke mentioned and that her two of her powers are so entirely useful. And she can also swim, which isn't always useful, but is very useful in some levels. And she's not, I believe she can carry. I, I forget who exactly. I think she can carry slowly, um, but no, she. I think she can carry. She can normal carry speed. normal speed, she, she right? Yeah, on, yeah. She slings one over her shoulder, so she's pretty good. Yeah. At that whereas too. Uh, uh, Kate is uh, dragging that body like Doctor McCoy. Um, so I, I, she was my favorite. In fact, playing her made me actually wish that they had gone like hard fantasy for like everybody, like get further out there with some of their powers even though like hector has a giant bear trap that apparently no one can see uh <laughs> it's so big <laughs> but but uh yeah Is isabel is definitely uh the the mvp of the game which is probably why they put her at the end of the line of characters that you get uh so for me i think I had an arc where like Kate was my least favorite and then kind of became my favorite in this one really particular way, which is that usually the start of me coming to grips with a scenario was using Kate to basically control variables. Uh, you know, like that distraction ability was usually the start of me starting to be able to break through a puzzle just because it would give me like, it, it would just give me a handhold on, on the puzzle where I could like sort of crowbar the other characters into place. But like, usually these things started with Kate uh, because all my other ways to try to like, like I could see how I would want to clear an area, but getting to the place get getting to the place where people were set up to do that often did require using kate uh to sort of open a line. I, I feel like yeah it's oh, go ahead. Uh, so yeah, she does feel like the like i'm i'm really i really like the game's balance i think the way that they um keep certain characters out of certain missions so that you don't rely on them all the time or are forced to use certain strategies 
is is really cool and and the way they've designed a lot of the levels where a lot of their special abilities weaknesses um are sort of brought out front where you again you can't rely on too many things too often i think the one exception to that though is kate's distraction powers i'm the same i found myself especially on the later sort of harder missions where you would survey them and think oh god there's like six guards here and they're all looking in the same spot how am i going to get through here you can just rely on kate because her distraction wouldn't it be great if she she talks to the guy somewhere else yeah, or wouldn't it be great if this guy can just be brought around the corner and just murdered in a bush just over and over and over again? What if I could do that to all four of these guys with the one character, which is what Kate does, especially towards some of the later missions where for some reason like that power's weakness where it doesn't work on or where she's actually spotted by the trench coat guys, there's huge swathes of those later missions where those guys aren't there. And so you can just create these like man-eating bushes where you put Cooper or or Isabel in a bush and just keep luring guy after guy after guy out into them and, and just taking them out. Um, which is like, like it's overpowered, but yeah, it is still probably the single, it's not enough to make her my most used or favorite character in the game, but like, yeah, I do agree. They were, they were very cool to use. Yeah, I, I feel like Kate is probably, if you were going for the no-kill play, she's probably going to be the linchpin. Because she has such good control over, like, between the perfume and the distract uh, and the lore, she has such a good non-lethal kit. But my first run through, I, I was murder supreme, so she, she falls to the bottom of the list. I can't. So in general, I'm not super non-lethal uh, just because it gets too fussy. And also because in so many stealth games, so many people just deserve to get killed. Like the point of your average stealth game is just like you're walking around the level and then you hear just some asshole like popping off and you're like, well, time for you to get garroted or something like that. Uh, but this game in particular, because these puzzles are so naughty, even when you are total when even when you are feeling like i am content killing a hundred people every mission right like it's just going to be carnage by the end even so uh it is really tricky doing these things even when you're just at your most murderous the like every every mission you get your little score right um it gives you a bunch of cool metrics um actually let me back up let's talk about how cool the way this does a post-mission debrief is so the good. game actually is a standout. Oh, the map, the map, the the map that it gives you at the end of the mission. So good. Oh, I wish every game that had anything remotely to do with any of this stuff had that. Luke, you like, want to you, you want to tell the people what they're missing uh, if they haven't so played this like, yet? At, at the end of at the end of every level of this game, you get presented with a map of the entire stage and some of these stages are really big you know they can take you hours and hours to work your way across it just gives you this snapshot of the entire map and it marks on the map um where every enemy and civilian was and where you started the map and then it starts to basically show you a simplified abstract time lapse of your run through the entire mission showing each person that you pick off and as you move and each like kill that you make and stuff and it's such an amazing way of taking such a like because when you play there isn't like we've mentioned before there is no flow to this game like you can be save and and load spamming like 10 20 times on certain puzzles so it breaks the idea that you're on this single flowing mission this debrief map at the end of it 
brings you back to that and sort of shows, all right, you guys started here and over the next two hours, you just killed like 200 dudes, but you did it in, in the most economic, like amazing way possible. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's, it's not an entirely brand new idea. Like you'll get things like this in a lot of turn-based strategy games as well, where they'll sort of give you a replay, they'll call it, but this is way more comprehensive. And it's like one of the real highlights of the game for me is just being able to look back and just look at everything that I just did in that really slow, laborious process and see it sped up and just see it look heaps cooler. Yeah, and it's real yeah, nice it you looks, can... Oh, go for it. Yeah, it's real nice that you can, like, scrub through it. You can change the speed. Uh, and it, it's... Uh, uh, someone else compared it to almost like a uh, sports diagram of, like, a play. Uh, and being able to just watch it. And it, this is one of the things that was not in Shadow Tactics. So, like, this was a thing that they added. Because um, Shadow Tactics did keep track of a lot of this stuff, but not it didn't offer a visual uh, look at it. And and that's part of why it's so cool, just watching you sort of make your way across the map. Yeah, and it it looks great, the, the map. I don't think it is just a... I don't think you... I don't think it is using the exact, uh, like, zoomed-out version of the actual in-game map. This really does look like... No, it's a, like a separate illustration of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh... So it's got kind of a cool, like you're looking over the picture book version of the level you were just in, uh, which is, which is neat. I also like you get the, uh, the breakdown of what each member of the team did, right? So you get your like people killed, people knocked out, uh, you know, times you were observed breaking stealth. Uh, and then you also sort of get a breakdown of like who exactly on your team did what. So like, if you kind of just enjoy gazing into the data uh, around your playstyle and like who like what happened in a mission, uh, this game has some some really cool box score info uh, that that I, that I really like. Um, but then after that, it tells you, okay, so here were the other optional challenges you could have done. And this is like, you know, if you're the completionist or if you want to show like complete level mastery, uh, there's like three big challenges and then a series of like extra uh, in every sense of the word challenges that you can that you can undertake. Uh, I think one that jumped out at me, like what sort of like, why would you do this? There's an option uh, in that in that mission where Kate's wedding day goes haywire and she ends up like shooting the fat cat mayor uh that she was about to marry she ends up killing him and there's an achievement for i guess carrying his corpse across the entire level to where the photographer is set up which is across the map so like there's an achievement for taking a photo with the dead mayor uh and I'm sitting here just thinking, like, the only way you could do that is if you, like, dragged this carcass through this, like, guard-infested, uh, uh, like, wedding party ground. Um, There's but, another one with the... Did you see the dentist one in... I think it's the first New Orleans mission. No, no, no. Which would be wrong, but you find a little... In the corner of the map, there's a little um, dentist's, like, wagon. And it's basically, like, the... Um, like the very bottom corner of the map and you 
it's like, well, this is weird. It's got an interactive door and there's a character at the front of it. And what it turned out you had to do, because I did this just experimenting with it because I thought it was odd, is if you knocked out a guard and brought a live guard to the dentist's wagon, he would thank you for it and bring the guy in and like strap him into the dentist's oh, wagon and no. start experimenting. Oh, my him. God. And you'd, and you'd hear the guy scream like, ah, oh, my tooth. Ah. And then the, the, this like mad doctor's like, yes, yes. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, wow. And that's the point. That was like a maybe the fourth, fifth mission in. And that's what made me realize, yeah, that, that stuff's hidden in every level. And it's got nothing to do with difficulty. Like it's not a harder, it's not asking you to do something harder than the game's already incredibly difficult difficulty settings. It's just encouraging you to sort of replay these missions and explore every corner of it that there's all these cool little secrets and challenges out there for you to sort of, you know, if you play the same mission five, six, seven times, you can play a really fun, different version of it every time. Yeah, and, and but and also I think those early playthroughs very humbling for me because it was basically like the game was telling me like you didn't scratch the surface of this and by the way your performance wasn't very good. Yeah, but that that was the one that always because everyone has at least one badge for speed run, and it's like beat this level in under like ten minutes, and then like your time is like over on the side. It's like yeah, it took you like fifty minutes. And I'm just like, oh god, I'm I'm so bad at this. Yeah, I'm like, this is a game I am interested in seeing sort of the speed run videos uh, come out for, and just see how quickly people can dismantle these levels, uh, because I think there is the the other thing is these these levels are they're not in exactly dense with these things, but there's still an awful lot of ways for people to get killed via accidents and uh for instance like animals in this game are just murder machines if you bounce a coin off a horse it will kick and kill somebody that's just what it that's what horses do uh in in this world but like there's there's tons of that throughout this game where uh you know even thing bad things happening do not raise the alarm in this game right like dropping piles of rubble on people's head like they're wily e. coyote uh everyone just looks at that and is like oh shit that's that's unfortunate but it doesn't raise an alarm and so i i do kind of have the suspicion that like a big part of maybe greasing the wheels in this game is like really finding every opportunity you can to just like thin the herd uh via these like natural causes act of god uh type deaths but it's but those require like sort of searching around and seeing where they are and seeing how they interact with um like guard patrol routes and seeing when you can get the most bang for your buck uh so like each time you you play this this game i i did often leave thinking like i'd seen so many things throughout a run through a level that i just hadn't had time to really use but i had a suspicion i have a suspicion that like if i go back I will figure out why some of those uh, usable objects are in there, right? I just didn't. I just didn't see it because I was too busy, like using a throwing knife to just like you know murder everyone. Yeah, you were too busy throwing a coin to make a horse kick somebody. <laughs> just like, ah, let's do that again. And then when someone else comes over, let's do that again. The 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 body pile, the stealth body pile. Yeah, there's um. There is 
you can fit a lot of people in a tiny bush uh it turns there's out. an achievement for it one of the achievements that kept popping up as i made murder bush after murder bush <laughs> was like a man-eating shrub or something i just kept getting this achievement popping up where you've put 300 guys in a bush you've put 400 guys in bushes in this game like you can i've seen single bushes take like eight ten guards and they just obviously you know are, are bottomless. Yes. and the same for some of the same for some of the games like decorative ponds or small rivers you can just fit an obscene amount of dead bodies yeah, in them. I don't know if there is, is a cap on it. When you put a, a dead or, or captured body into a bush, it actually sinks below the world uh, and disappears completely. So it is no longer a thing you have to worry about. So it, it's almost like the bush is eating, eating all of these people, for those who haven't played the game. Uh one of the other things I think worth mentioning here is that this is a really pretty game. Oh, it's so pretty. Um, I was surprised. Yeah, it was it was interesting because my like I, I didn't technically review the game because I still haven't finished it. I'm I'm still on the last level now. But some of the things I read in some of the other reviews were actually like, oh, it's there's not much to look at. And I thought, really? Like are we been playing the same game? Because it's got this really beautiful diorama style like almost action figure look to it that just made every level just like it looks beautiful in static 2d and then the fact that you can just spin the entire map around and it looks as good no matter which way you spin it i thought it was a like a really good looking game yeah like uh if you get if you get down and, and zoom a little close yeah you can look and see that some of the textures are a little muddy but i i that's really part of making it look great when you're zoomed out like making it perform well because it not only like looks great but it performs pretty well i didn't have like any hitches or anything or any problems and no well that's it's probably related to the making sure that it saves and loads so quickly as well you're not going to have these you know enormous maps with trillions of assets in them if it's going to take 60 seconds every time you want to quick load again yeah but they do a lot like like the opening the first level and like seeing like grass and stuff and bushes and water and uh, fire and light and all that stuff like they it's all in the additional effects that they they paper over these levels that already look pretty good that make them look like even more amazing i guess i could see i could see an argument being made that it maybe isn't as arresting as um, Shadow Tactics. Because I think Shadow Tactics does have... it is That is another gorgeous game. And I think part of that is also it's leaning all the way into uh, samurai film aesthetics. And also there's a lot of like dynamic... Um, or exciting like biomes that you you're spending time in right winter levels uh you know a feudal japanese castles things like that uh i could see there being a, an argument that like the old west is a little monotonous uh by comparison but i don't even but i don't actually think these levels are all that monotonous looking right like no they do a really good job of breaking it up into several like really distinct sort of areas you've got the the big urban missions the the swampy jungle missions the desert missions the you know and and then within those 
areas, you get missions like the one with the bridge or the train, where even though it's the same general terrain, it's still a you know a strikingly good-looking, distinct level from the last yeah. one. That even though you know, and, and they switch it up too, so it's not like you're 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 getting a ton of uh, like say desert missions back to back. You'll you'll maybe do a couple of, but you'll sometimes have like uh, maybe one near a forest. Uh, then you'll have, say, you know, like a, a desert mission, then maybe one in town. And they, they, they try to at least give you a lot of variety. And since you're spending usually like at least 30 minutes on a level, I, I think it works out really well. Like I never got bored of a, of a particular style while I was playing the game. I think it really suited the gameplay for me as well. I think by making it look so action figurey and, and diorama-esque, sort of taking you right out of this being like this is not a real place with real people, it helped make the beat-to-beat gameplay more palatable for me, I guess. Maybe this is only because I'm playing Last of Us 2 at the same time, but like all you're doing in this game is going from bush to bush, corner to corner, like stabbing dudes in the neck and hearing them just go, ah, ah, as, the, as they die. And it's like a really, it's a grisly game if you look at it that way. I'm just using knives and hooks and bear traps and shotguns to just kill like thousands of guys. But the way it's visually presented lifts you right straight out of that. It's like, oh, these are just toys. You know, this is this is just like a a cartoon sort of experience. It's it's not something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how 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 can you think of it as anything but cartoony when you push over a giant boulder and it just crushes two guys and then that's it and and their friends are like, huh? I guess that happened. Or there's literally a piano <laughs> hanging over somebody's head that you cut the wire on and it kills them. Yeah, and like I mean. Like, I could never stop cracking up every time the bear trap fired. It is just so ridiculous that, like, this thing is, like, the size of a, like, great snapping turtle, basically. This thing is just enormous. Uh, and when dudes step over it, it just snaps shut around their midsection, and it's like a dinosaur killed them, right? Like, it's a Jurassic Park, like, T-Rex type, like, moment of somebody just, like, steps into the bear trap, goes snick, and it's just, like, this grisly, like, oh, this person was just basically cut in half uh, by this by this bear trap. And it is so ridiculous and overdone that it doesn't really register as horrifying. It just, yeah, it just registers as <laughs> got him. Especially yeah. since you can hide it. Like, so, so like the first time you get Hector, I think it's in like a grass area. You can drop it down and like, okay, that makes sense. We're good. But like on like a desert area, like now you should be able to see that giant bear trap. Like there's no way Hector is hiding that. Yeah, I love how they just explain it away, though. I think it's when you first learn to use it, they just sort of go, yeah, it's huge, we know, but no one can see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only Hector can see it. And they're just like, we don't need a reason. We just said there's no reason, so just have fun. Get on with it. It's fine. This thing's going to eat a lot of people. Have fun with it. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. I mean, th- this is a game that that, that plays it pretty broad, uh, right, in terms of just, like, the archetypes that you're dealing with. Uh, you know, this is the game where, you know, in the tradition of the commando style games, 
you know, you basically do have the the temptress, uh, you know, archetype. You do have the big burly tank dude in Hector. Uh, Doc McCoy is your uh, delicate little sniper guy. Um, just absolutely lethal, uh, by the way. But my God, it's his Achilles heel just trying to get the bodies out of the way. It's every time I watch that guy try to get Can a he corpse. throw them. No, I, I think because I'm really embarrassed to say it took me a very long way into the game before I found out I could throw bodies instead of dragging them. And I don't know if everybody can throw them or not. I don't think McCoy can. It was a, can he? McCoy can't. I don't know. Because they, <laughs> they make such a point him. of like the fact that he can only lift the corpses like by their um, armpits and like crab walk shuffle them. The, like crab walk yeah, them, yeah it's just brutal where like he is so fast and deadly uh with that silenced rifle uh that he's got and the uh stink bombs and such um but god help him if he has to clean up a mess uh while he's out there which is again a big part of this game like so much of this is about orchestrating things like somebody's gonna get this kill and then somebody else is going to sweep in and adios the body real fast uh, before this other character gets their vision restored. Uh, that's that's a, you know, tidying up after your mayhem is a huge part of this game. Yeah, and, and I guess for, for those who haven't played also, part of it uh, is not just vision cones, but there's also sound cones. So uh, sometimes oh, yeah, when point. you'll have... Uh, two guys, uh, or three, or however many, uh, you'll not only need to sort of distract them to move the vision cone to, say, take out one of their partners, but you also have to make sure that they are far enough away that they do not hear uh, exactly what you're doing, because that is another like instant, like, oh, they see you, they're going to shoot you, and you're dead. Yeah, and that plays like there's there's tons of times where even you know even the throwing knife is too loud uh for a situation there's just too many there's too many people around even if you get the corpse cleaned up uh you know somebody's buddy will will hear him uh get hit i think uh but there were places where it did like maybe maybe not very often but there were places where sometimes like the fastest way to deal with a problem was to have a good old fashioned uh, old West shootout. And even though the sound radius on gunshots is enormous, basically the everything on the screen will hear a gunshot uh, at like maximum zoom. Like you will like the, the, the ring is just so big. Uh, that, that everyone's going to hear that. But there were places where uh, it, it was just so much easier to gun a bunch of people down than it was I, to... I found that really interesting that the game's marketing, like just before it came out, it, it, it released this huge like two-part trailer thing where they said you can go quiet or you can go loud. You can play this game in two ways. And they tried to frame it that you could play the entire game as like this fast-paced mouse clicky as almost diablo-esque action game that's so weird i was like have you guys played this like the people trying to sell this have you actually played this game because that is 
not happening at all. Like you can't do this. You can't play the game yeah. like that. But then when you play through it, you notice how many ammo crates are lying around. You think, God, they really did expect someone to try and shoot their way through these levels, even though it's almost impossible to control it properly once you get into a serious shootout. Yeah, there's uh, the, the the one level that I, I got through uh, was, it was the wedding level. And at the end, there's a minigun. You have to shoot <laughs> all of right. the guys. And I would still get to the minigun, and I had to reload that part a couple of times because Cooper was still dying in the middle of shooting the minigun. I did it like three or four times before I figured out that you could just hold down the mouse button because I was like clicking it to try to kill the guys. Um, but even then, like Cooper really couldn't stand up to that many shots and he was behind a minigun. So I, I'm pretty yeah, sure it's, it's, uh, Coop cut Kate in half the first time I got hold of uh, that minigun. It's funny. They... They say that you can do it whenever, but there's really such so many limited places you can rely on that type of scenario. Like I think I only did it once in the whole game where, oh, apart from the minigun sections where um, I think it was a level where we had to sneak around and get on a train and, and get out of there as the train left. And it was only, and, and the last bit before you could get on a train was on a like a loading dock area. And that's the only area in the whole game I've had an old fashioned shootout in because it was like a finite space, I wasn't going to get flooded with reinforcements and it wasn't going to impact the rest of the mission where you're not going to risk other people coming in and seeing 87 dead bodies in that area of the map or or I've used up all my ammo or whatever. So yeah, I, I find it weird that so much of the game was obviously set up for you to do that shooting when like, I guess as all three of us can now testify that when you play your way through the game, it's really something you never want to pursue even as a last resort even though i'm sure yeah. like uh probably in like a month or so there will be uh youtube videos of people going full guns ablazing and yeah, finishing well, in like five you, minutes you, yeah you, that's it you said i wonder how i do this mission in under 10 minutes it's probably using hector's shotgun just like killing everybody hector and mccoy every level just five minutes everybody's gone well yeah i mean but mccoy like the dude needs to be fed with ammo uh constantly and so you you have that issue where like his gun his was the one gun i used without hesitation uh except for the issue that his silenced rifle only has like five shots and then you will need to find an ammo crate somewhere and restock and usually those things were guarded and so you'd have like a separate stealth puzzle to go and resupply your guns. Whereas I don't think, you know, maybe once uh, Cooper was running low on his six shooters, uh, but that was like one time that I needed to refill those because he just had more bullets than I would ever really have to go through uh, in a level. But I also, I never, ever played this as when the guns came out a game where I was hot keying my way through the gun battle and like doing it in real time. Uh, if there was a bunch of dudes who had to get killed, I was usually doing that with the, um, we haven't talked about this. I don't think I was usually doing that with the uh, showdown mode where you sort of pause the action and like set up everyone's move and then you can either let the simulation run in real time and then execute it at whenever it's in the right position, or you can uh, 
you know, just execute it straight out of that pause screen and see how it all unfolds. Uh, I found that basically essential when it came to managing things like shooting a bunch of people, because uh, otherwise it was just kind of chaos. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, like trying to do it, even even in showdown mode, like I feel like maybe a third of the time I'd tell Cooper to like shoot two guys and then maybe Kate to shoot a guy and one of them would survive. So, so even, even in the context of showdown mode, which is the, the, the pause everything, set up your, your moves mode, uh, I, I didn't find shooting super useful all of the time, not just from a sound perspective, but also just a, a pure execution perspective at times. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I liked it. I, uh, but, but I, I didn't find it. I, I wish I'd had a bit of a, um, there were times I really found myself wishing there were like a, a little more frozen synapse type thing where it came to plotting moves. Uh, you know what like I mean? Like you can like, actually like, put yeah, your it's, position it's very, and then yeah. like queue up a whole bunch of moves and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Showdown mode was really useful in like, if you wanted to orchestrate one action events where if you had everybody in a specific place and you were like, all right, just jump out of this bush and knife the guy or you shoot somebody. It, it, it works really well for that. If you're having to ask multiple people to move and then attack, I think it really has some limitations. Cause like you said, in frozen other games like frozen synapse or whatever, you will see waypoint markers and you'll actually get a better idea of, of um, there's a game that came out this year, a uh, world war two, Broken Lines, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of similar to this. It was a real-time tactics game. And when you went into the, its slow motion mode, it would show you, give you a visualization of how long it was going to take that person to get there so that you could really perfectly plan those kind of moves. I felt like this could have done with that because Showdown Move might have been a bit more useful. I feel like as it stands, it's kind of a like an icing on the cake sign of move, kind of move where it's like, ah, oh, I get to do a showdown move and it's going to look great. Whereas I could have actually relied on it for half the puzzles in the game. If it just had a bit more feedback as to how I could align everybody and move them into the right spot in the, the right time. Yeah. And a little bit, uh, make it a little bit easier to queue up moves or, or something like that. Yeah. Like it, cause it does queue them up. Like you, it does queue them up, but it doesn't do a great job of showing you, the timing involved or, or how that's working in relation to everybody else. So you're like, okay, I've got this move set up. It's great. Every, all four agents are going to be doing something. You execute the showdown move and you find out that somebody's movement pathfinding's taken them in the wrong place or, or something. And the whole thing goes to hell. And so you have to reload and start the whole process over again, which is a, a bit of a pain. You ever, like you sit there though and get quietly convinced that the difference between what they implemented and then what we're asking would have just at least like night and day in terms of difficulty of implementation. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> we're, we're, but, but I am there. I'm like, yeah, if this just had a little bit of an ability to get people to go to waypoints and then do the move and everything, oh, that would, that would set me up just right. Um, but usually I, the way it ended up working for me was that like, people had to be perfectly positioned. And then there was one character who would have to do an action that would set things up, right? Like, uh, you know, Kate's perfume bottle to blind somebody at a crucial moment, uh, would be the thing 
that that would happen first. And then a split second after I would hit enter to sort of, uh, send everyone on their, on their move, uh, real quick. Um, Mike, I want to say you talked about this in your review. Um, you played it with the gamepad a fair bit, right? Um, uh, yes, I, I, I always at least um, drop in to see how a gamepad works because uh, I play a lot on PC, but I, I, I sometimes like to switch depending on what type of game I'm playing. Uh, like when I was doing Red Dead 2, I, I did that completely on a gamepad on PC. So I, I hooked it up and I was surprised to see that it uh, was fairly seamless. Um how does it work? Do you get direct control? Yes. Over yeah. I guess that's how the PlayStation version works, I guess. Wow, that's a completely yeah, different Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like the difference between playing uh, Diablo on PC versus Diablo on like consoles. Um, yeah. And it actually works pretty well. And, you know, the quick load and quick uh, save are right there at your fingertips. And uh, I actually found in, in some cases that it, it did work better to have direct control over somebody yeah those parts where you're trying to dance through the the vision cones might be easier with a gameplay i'm guessing if you can actually get that more precise control instead of relying on the point-to-point yeah of the pc version which sometimes gets you a lot of the sneaking aspects like moving from point a to point b without being seen are easier when you have direct control of that character cool yeah, I, I played around with it a little bit because, um, yeah, I've got it set up so that, like, I can uh, output to a monitor or to a TV because I, I was just kind of curious. Like, it says it has a 5.1 mix. Um, I didn't hear the rears activating very much. Uh, just FYI, if you're thinking, like, what's the home theater experience? Uh, let me tell you, it's a lot like playing it in stereo. Uh, but yeah, I gave it a shot uh, while I was trying to mind my dog uh, earlier today. And the one thing that really turned me off the gamepad thing, though, was um, I didn't like how it controls the camera compared to just how easy it is. Just hit like alt yeah. and then move the mouse around to swing the camera. And because this game really does require you having a perfect unobstructed view a lot of times, uh, that was kind of my deal breaker. Yeah, I can definitely see that, uh, like, camera control and that being, uh, like, a, a big deal breaker if you were playing on console. Otherwise, I, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't, uh, like I said, I played a lot with it, but that wasn't yeah. my preferred method of play for the most part. Um, we haven't talked about it much, but we've, we've sort of alluded to it, the uh, classes of enemies. Uh, in terms of how they sort of set the puzzle, the puzzles up and create challenges, challenges uh, with, with sort of different bars to clear. Uh, you know, you get your basic, you get your basic goons, basically the thugs who are wandering the levels, and anybody can can kill them. Uh, and also, they're just you know dumb as a post, right? Um, they fall for every single lure. Uh, they, you know, they investigate alone, uh, every single thing, uh, that you, that you want to use to pull them out of position. Uh, then there's the poncho guards who are basically the 
high attention span versions of the thugs. Yeah, like uh, you can't uh, distract them. Like all of your distraction tactics, they'll sort of look at them like Doc's bag, which you drop it on the ground, and usually a guard will go up to it, being like, "Oh, what's this?" And then when they open it, it like blinds them for a bit. Poncho guards will look at it and be like. I mean, that's obviously a trap, so I'm not moving from the spot. Yeah. And sometimes, though, like, you still, I, I think it's it's very clever. Sometimes the, the poncho guard is there to basically, like, signal, hey, you're not going to be able to, you have to work around this dude's vision cone. Like, this this sentry is not going to get pulled out of this position. And I think early on, the game sort of discourages you from doing that. But also, it turns out there's a lot of times when, yeah, you might only be able to distract them for a split second, but sometimes that split second is the key to like unlocking the position. Uh, and so that's that's something you have to, to weigh in there as well. And um, I don't know, uh, Luke, you want to explain the, the long coats a, a little bit? So like you guys have explained, the, the various levels of enemies have various sort of vulnerabilities to your to your powers and, and tools the long coats kind of sit at the top of that where they're these incredibly powerful incredibly strong um they're basically mini bosses i guess and they're immune to most of your agent's powers so you kate can't well if kate goes near one in a disguise they see right through it and then kate's basically shot on on site um other most players can't kill them they can only sort of slow them down or, or wound them it's only hector's um you sort of tank characters direct melee attack that can take out um, a long coat and they basically feel like they've been dropped in the game at certain key points to stop you being able to cheese your favorite um special ability or or power because they really make you approach a puzzle in in a certain way and really have to make the most out of everybody's abilities because yeah, they're so hard to bring yeah, down. Yeah, you can you can double tap them. So if you hit them with uh, anybody who's not Hector's gun, uh, it'll stun them, and then you can hit them again to take them down. Right. That's that's that part on the bridge that that we were talking about earlier as well, where you you have to rely on non Hector characters to bring one down. But yeah, normally they're a massive pain in the butt. Uh, and and then. Um dog lovers may not yeah yeah enjoy there, there, parts of this yeah game. there are some yeah. other there are some other tweaks like kate can't uh can't uh charm women so anytime there's a female guard it's just you're just like oh, oh okay and and then dogs can sniff you out uh and uh i mean yeah i, I did kill a couple of dogs i mean i guess luke you've you've killed a number of dogs across two games haven't you? Yeah, I've been doing it a lot lately, which <laughs> bumming me. I'm my dog sitting right next to me now. Actually, it's making me sad. But um, yeah, you do kill quite a few dogs in this game, which is it's kind of odd because they they're not as terrifying as that might make them sound. I actually found the dogs were a way to actually exploit a few areas. I don't know whether that was by design or not, but because a dog could sniff you out instead of seeing you, you a lot of traditional approaches to a, a a puzzle where you would conceal yourself in a bush or or 
a haystack or something, if a dog can sniff you out, it raises the alarm, but it raises its its own type of alarm. So normally in the game, if a guard sees you, it raises a general alarm. And that's a really bad thing because all these extra guards come running out of buildings and, and you basically, a lot of times you're all dead on sight if the alarm gets raised because there's suddenly you know, six to 10 guys and they're all shooting at you. The dog raises a kind of sub alarm where the dog's barking at you, but it relies on someone else coming over to investigate that to trigger the main alarm. So there's a few missions. And I think one in, in the city stage in New Orleans was one of them where I could actually use the dogs to my advantage, um, which was cool. But then it also made me feel bad about, you know, eventually having to put an ax into it to, to stop it from chasing me around the rest of the level i i did kind of have a because uh, yeah i i also went straight from the last of us 2 into this game and i did kind of have a moment where i was like are you kidding me like i just got done uh yeah. taking these things out and again at least in this at least they make them like these are ugly dogs these are like big mean yeah. ugly dogs so if there is a dog that you have to kill in a video game like this is probably the most palatable version of it. It's not like you're killing like some, yeah. I don't know. Is, These, is I think they're just still kind of cute mutts. Unfortunately, oh, there's kind okay. of to me. I'm like, this is kind of a Disney dog. Like this is one of the dogs that sings along <laughs> in a, the jail and Lady and the a, Tramp. It's actually now that you say that they do have they do look very similar to the um the Bolt character yeah, designs. Yeah. That, that's kind of square looking. Okay. Yeah. Right now yeah. I feel bad. Uh, but, oh. but yeah, they, they, they do have interesting limitations uh, and they are mostly there to complicate some of your other uh, disguise uh, and distraction abilities. But yeah, the, the dog, fortunately for you, these dogs are pretty bad at being guard dogs. Um, unlike in last of us where, you know, like actual dogs, they're pretty good about picking up a scent and like tracking you down. None of that here. Their awareness cone is, is super narrow. Uh, and so really they're, they're kind of introduced in a lot of places to just kind of be a curveball on uh, what you want to do and introduce maybe a timing element uh, or, or just create a situation you have to manipulate a little bit better. But nevertheless, yeah, in a lot of places, um, killing the dog was the most expedient way, uh, forward. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe if you get it, you can, you can try a no dog death run. Yeah. And, and I, I, I all of these different types that we're sort of explaining the, the trick and the reason that it really works out to be sort of a puzzle is that each of your characters tends to, uh, I guess, except for dogs, have a specific way to deal with each of these types of characters. Like um, the one of the non-lethal takedowns is to knock down a target and then hog tie them. And Cooper can do that. Kate can't. So uh, if you're in a situation where you have Cooper and Kate, um, Kate can knock people down with a kick, but then eventually they'll wake up again. So uh, everyone, though she can kick them right back. Down. <laughs> yes, she can kick them again. Um, but that's how it sort of breaks down. Like uh, Hector can carry two bodies at once at a normal speed. Cooper can carry one body. Um, Cooper can climb Ivy. Uh, Isabel can as well. Uh, Isabel can swim. So uh, everyone sort of brings their own tactics to the table outside of their special abilities. And then, the levels are designed in such a way that it's sort of 
different uh, choke points is not the right word uh, puzzle rooms i guess um that you have to go through because they're, they're generally uh there are more they're very distinct like they're they're very self-contained areas that you have to overcome there's very few areas where sort of the guards are, the vision cones are overlapping 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 it's like all right i'm going to take care of these four guys and then i've got complete peace and i can move on to the next five guys and then the next six guys it's all very segmented and separated yeah yeah so so like you 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 very rarely have a situation where if you tip off a guard which is going to get you killed anyways it's going to bring people from another puzzle section another area of the map usually it's just you're going to die in that area um, uh, which I, I guess is a really smart bit of design, um, as opposed to going back to the Hitman. Like Hitman, you can definitely have some parts where you'll be in one area trying to figure out how to get by, and then you'll accidentally trip off people from a nearby area. That's less of a problem here in Desperados 3. Yeah, and I always find those moments uh, in Hitman, they also begin to pull at the seams of the uh, believability of the simulation a little bit because that's when suddenly you see the Hitman enemy behavior start looking a lot like, oh, these dudes are just going to keep trooping in from all corners of the level, but they're all going to funnel through this door. And so I'm probably failing this mission right now, but as long as I have ammo, uh, I can keep mowing guards down. Um, yeah, and, and here you don't quite see the uh stormtrooper-esque quality of the of the enemies uh because yeah you're usually in these discrete yeah, areas and if you do see the stormtrooper-esque you usually get the feeling that it was planned like i, I brought up with a one like say a horse if there are like three guys on a horse and one guy walks by the horse cooper can throw a coin the horse will kick the guy knock him down then uh the friend will come over you can do it again then the other friend will come over. You could do it again. Um, that is very stormtrooper. Yeah, that's very stormtrooper. But you, you kind of get the feeling that, like, the developer knew this was going to happen. This wasn't just right. a, an accident. Yeah, I mean, a bit like Kate's thing, where like she can just sit there, kicking people in the head uh, to sort of put them back to sleep while everyone else cleans up. Uh, yeah, if if they wanted this to not be ridiculous, they they would have there were easy ways they could have but yeah i think it goes to the cartoonishness uh of this world um where yeah people will just keep walking in front of that horse uh you know with with the bloody rear hooves uh not knowing any better or you know uh you know <laughs> a lady's gonna keep kicking guys in the balls uh until somebody comes along with a rope uh to to tie them up uh but she's happy to do it for uh, all day long. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel like, um, I feel like we're all pretty positive about this game. Like I'm, I think for me where I'm at is the thing you have to be willing to accept is this is just a super safe scummy game. This is not a game where breaking cover and then somehow regaining stealth is a satisfying loop that you're going to be going through. That's just not this game. This is not, this is not a game where if things go wrong, you play on and sort of uh, try and 
regain control of the situation. Like this is a, if you screw up your puzzle, you just reset the pieces immediately. Uh, and I can see that rubbing some people the wrong way because there are so many stealth games that are in love with the idea of letting the simulation continue to perpetuate fresh action. That ain't Desperados 3, but what it, what it is is pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's definitely, uh, it is not the kind of uh, stealth game where you can be like, oh, I screwed up. Let's drop a smoke bomb. Let's disengage for a little bit. We obviously messed up somewhere. Let's try it again. Like in world, this is a, oh, you screwed up. Cooper's dead. Let's just restart. Let's go back. Like there's no way we're going to get through this. Um, there are very few situations where if you are outed on accident that you're probably going to survive. Uh, and the game leans heavily on that. Luke, uh, I mean, obviously the, the modern stealth masterpiece uh, headline probably gives it away, <laughs> but uh, let's just, like, where are you at right now uh, as you continue yeah, through this it, game? I think I'm up to the last level. Um, I won't spoil it by sort of saying where that is, but yeah, I think for me, it just scratches two very particular itches that I have regarding sort of the, the styles of game this touches upon. I think it really, it's a game that knows its limitations. It's like, and it's a hundred percent upfront and clear with them that look, this game is going to make you save. It's going to make you reload a lot. It's very artificial. These aren't real people. This is basically a puzzle game with cowboy set dressing. It doesn't try to hide that. It actually leans into it and turns out to to its advantage by sort of drawing that line and saying, all right, this is what this game is. We're going to execute it to the best of our ability. And, and I think they execute it so well that it brings out it's got a lot of the stuff that I love from games like XCOM or any other sort of team-based Fire Emblem, even Invisible Ink, which is a good example because it's got a lot of sneaking in it. Um, that sort of really strategic sort of chin-in-my-hand planning moves, yet they also are able to marry that with the best things I love about Hitman, which you know I know we've spoken about a lot of Hitman's limitations in the last 10 minutes, but the way that Hitman takes the stealth genre and makes you feel so predatory, like the ability to disguise yourself and just walk through a stealth level or the ability to have all these cool gadgets and powers that, that can really impact on a level. It's got that as well. And so like the things that I love most about two of the series that I love the most or types of games that I love the most sort of come together in this game and that's why i use that sort of really excited headline but like just personally for, for all that stuff it ticks all those boxes yeah and and i i was really excited uh uh like we we all sort of talked before i had not played any of the desperados i played commando games uh which desperado was was pretty much copying um and i played you know like jack alliance and games like that but more importantly for me when I was coming to this is I had played this developer's previous game. They, they only have two, uh, Shadow Tactics Blades of the Shogun. And gameplay-wise, this is a polished version of Shadow Tactics. Um, I tend to like Shadow Tactics 
not aesthetic setting is best. I'm I'm not a huge Western fan, so this is this game is working for me despite usually not liking the setting. Um, but Shadow Tactics was great. Like it's just a fantastic, unique game for the time, and Desperados continues that. Uh, like the developer really, you can tell they know exactly what they do well, and they pull it off like amazingly. All right. Um, I think that will do it for this week's episode. By the way, if anybody out there has uh, tried the uh, season pass levels in this game, I'd be curious to hear uh, how they measure up. Uh, cause yeah, the game, the levels are dense. There's, there's a lot to them, but like the season pass I'm looking at here promises three more missions, which is actually a pretty substantial amount, uh, considering the, how many maps you, you have in the game. Uh, so I'd be interested in, uh, hearing, hearing from folks who've, uh, seen those, seen those missions. If they're, if they're out yet, I'm, I'm not clear on, uh, whether that's a live offer or whether it's, it's bait to get people to, uh, do a season pass. Anyway, uh, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. This episode was produced by TJ, uh, who's going to crank this one out. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode of our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, that also has further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Mike, for Luke, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.